You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. My name is Chris, and uh, it's a little weird here being with this table. I know Josh likes it, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, (laughs) But... Uh, my name is Chris, as I was saying, and I get the, the privilege of getting to preach God's word this morning. And so um, in the midst of that, um, I know, I've, had, I've had a lot going on in life lately. And so in the midst of that, I feel a little uh, inadequate in, in preaching God's word this morning and a little unprepared and a little um, unable. And so I pray that the words that come forth are not my own. Um, it's not by, by my strength. Uh, that I am up here, but it is by the strength of God. It is by the strength and the power of his might and the indwelling and working of his spirit. And I pray that that would be evident this morning and that his words would fall heavy on your hearts, not my words. Um, and and so as we, as we get in to the text this morning, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 8, um, and it's, it's a big narrative section that we are going to be, be looking at, and so we're not going to read it entirely, uh, but so that you know and so you can follow along, the verses that we're going to be talking about will be on the screen, but you can also open up your Bible. If you have, have the text with you, you can power up your phone, or you can, you can follow along as we, as we look at the words. But the text is in the book of John, chapter 8, and we are going to be looking at verses 12 all the way through to the end in verse 59. So it's a big swath of scripture here. But I think that there is a continuous, um, a continuous theme that kind of weaves through this. And so this section of scripture picks up um, after a little hiatus. Last week, ja, Royce talked about um, this woman that was caught in adultery. And this woman that was caught in adultery was brought to Jesus. And the, the Pharisees were like, so... Let's, let's stone her, right? Let's kill her. Um, and Jesus kind of flips the words around on them, and he clarifies things and brings, brings some truth. But, but that was kind of like a, a step out from the context of what had been going on. Jesus was at this feast, and he was in the midst of this crowd, and he was teaching, and he was having this conversation and this dialogue, and back and forth talking about who he is and what he is doing and why he is here. And then it comes back, and it picks up in verse 12 with that. And as we, as we are going to look at this text, we are going to see that, that Jesus is, is having a back and forth dialogue. He's having a conversation with these Jewish leaders, with these people, and he's, he's, he's going to claim some things. He's going to bring a testimony that they're going to have a, a hard time wrapping their minds around. And I think the reality is, is that um, a lot of us here have had a hard time wrapping our minds around that testimony that Jesus is going to give. And not just here in this room, but here in this city and here in this country, have a, have a hard time with that. And so Jesus starts out, he's going to make some, some statements about who he is. Then he's going to go on and he's going to make some statements about that, that who he is is because of where he comes from. And where he comes from gives him a certain authority and a certain power and a certain um, clout that goes along with it. And then with that, he's going to clarify some things, that because of who he is, because of where he comes from, that says something about who these people are that he's talking to. And that says something about who we are as well. And so with that, Jesus brings a testimony. And his testimony proclaims some things. 
And we're going to talk about three things that what Jesus is going to proclaim in this text. He is going to proclaim, first, his identity. He's going to proclaim who he is. Next, Jesus is going to proclaim his authority and the source of authority of where it comes from and what that means. And then Jesus is going to proclaim some things about family lines and about family lineage. So first off, Jesus starts uh, in the text in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 12, proclaiming who he is and his identity. It says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this, this seems like a little um, interesting. You know, Jesus is, is proclaiming once again that I, that he is the light of the world. That's the, that's the way that this text in the book of John started with, with chapter 1, verse 1, that he was the light that came down, that he was the word became flesh incarnate, that this God had, had came down as this, this light source, right? Now, why, why is that important? Why is that important that there would be a source of light in the world? I think that the reason that is, is important is that there is, there's darkness, in this world. There is a, a darkness at work that is trying to pull us away from the truth, right? There is a darkness that is trying to overcome and overtake in order to push out the light. This light came into the world to expose that darkness and to push back that darkness. That light came down in a person, the person of Jesus, Right? And so he's, he's making a claim here, but he's not just making a claim about light and dark and, and following. He's, he's also saying something that they might recognize. He's, gonna, he's hearkening back here to, to a time of Israel's past when they had to be brought out of darkness, and they were brought out of darkness by the light. They were brought out of darkness in the book of Exodus, as we had talked about many months ago, if you had been here or if you had followed along at all, where, where the, the people of Israel were in subjection to slavery under Egypt and under Pharaoh. And they cried out, they cried out in longing for deliverance. They cried out in longing for a deliverer. And God, through his grace and through his mercy, provided a deliverance for them. He rose up uh, a leader for them in Moses and Moses came, and he, he, he challenged Pharaoh with the words of God, and there was a back and forth, and eventually Pharaoh succumbed, and he, he let the people of Israel go. And as they were out, they were, they were on this journey that should have been a pretty, pretty short journey, right, to get from where they were in Egypt to get to this promised land that God had said that he would give them. But it turns out that they end up wandering quite a while, right? They're wandering in the desert, for quite a while, trying to find their way, trying to get to where they are going. And in the midst of that, you gotta, you got to assume that they're in some darkness, right? This is the time where there, there weren't flashlights. There weren't uh, light switches that you could just turn on. You didn't have a car you could drive. You would have to use torches or fires or, or that sort of, of way to get around, right? To be able to see where you were going in the dark. But what did they have? What did they have that guided their way? They had the Lord, right? And the Lord manifested himself in the presence of his people in, the, in, a, in a cloud of smoke and flaming fire. 
this immense and powerful light that lived with the people of God and guided them along the way to where they needed to go in this journey. In the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of the unknown of the wilderness that they were walking through and trying to find their way, God was guiding them. I think that's a, that's a little bit about how we are in this world. We might think that we're not in darkness. You know, we see the daylight. We have, we have the lights on in this room, and we feel like we can see things. But I think that the reality is, is that we are still wandering, trying to find our way, right? We're wandering, trying to find the way to happiness, the way to joy, the way to fulfillment, the way to satisfaction, the way to God. And in the midst of that, we get confused, right? We, we search for other things. We, we lash out. We grab for, for things that are, that are not of God. But Jesus proclaims that he is the one. He is the light that came to, to shine in the midst of the darkness. He came to give direction. He came to guide the footsteps of his people. I think this, this makes me think of um, a time when I was in college. See, I, uh, I, I was a student worker, and I had, had been working in the office, and I got distracted doing, doing some things, and I, um, at the same time, I was an athlete, so I was, I was a runner, and I, had, I knew I had this, this run that I needed to do. But I got distracted doing, doing some things and going down these rabbit trails of videos and, and goofing around, and it started to get dark out. And I was like, oh man, I'm running out of time here. I really need to go and, and do this run. Well, I'm a stubborn little guy. So I was like, I really like to run up in Forest Park because it's a lot prettier up there and it's softer surfaces and all these things. I was like, all right, I need to get up there and I need to start this run. Well, not only that, but I'm stubborn that I felt like I had to run this specific amount of distance. And so I get up there and I'm like, all right, well, we're running out of light, but I have to, I have to run this 16 mile run because that's what, that's what the calendar says. And uh, I better get going. But in the midst of that, it started getting dark out, right? And so I was up in Forest Park, and I was running along on Wildwood Trail, and it became pitch black dark. I didn't have a light. I didn't have a headlamp. I didn't have a flashlight. I didn't have anything. And I was trying to run along this trail, terrified that I was going to twist my ankle, that I was going to fall over, that like some boogeyman was going to come out of the darkness and get me. And I was just I was, it was a consequence of my own stubbornness, right? Of my own self-reliance, of my own seeking of, my, of, of what I wanted to do that put me in this situation. And so in the midst of that, I was, I was terrified. And so I started to cry out to God. I started to, to, to say, if you can just like get me back to my car safely, that would be amazing, God. That would like be the sweetest thing right now that I could ever experience. And I'm just, I'm just praying, and I'm running along, and I, and I get off of Wildwood, and I, if you know anything about Forest Park, it connects up to Leaf Erickson Drive, this like big roadway, basically. And I'm running along, and I feel a little more comfortable because it's not a tiny little trail. And I'm running along, and I'm like, okay, okay, I can make it, I can get back, I can get back, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I, I'm hearing all these things around me, and you know, when you're in the dark and you're running around, your mind starts to play tricks on you of like what's out there, what might be out there. And so I'm, I'm just terrified, and I'm running along, and I'm just praying that God would, would, would get me there safely. And this crazy thing happened in the midst of that. As I was running along, God gave a light. 
It was pitch black out. I should not have known where I was going. But as I was running along on this trail in the midst of crying out to God, the, the light just came. Like I was running along and it was like somebody had turned the lights on on that path and I saw where I was going. I knew where I was going. My feet were secure and I was able to get back to the car. See, that is what God is saying here in Jesus' proclamation. I am the light in the darkness. If you follow after me, you will find life. If you follow after Jesus, your steps will be secure. Now, like that, that's a good story. Like all of us aren't going to experience that same sort of thing. But God is making a declaration here. He is making a declaration that Jesus is the source of light and life. And following after him is going to light your path. It's going to show you where to go. It's going to guide you on this journey of life, of wandering through and the twists and turns and the uncertainty of life that we go through. Jesus proclaims his identity, that he is the light of the world. After that, Jesus goes on and he makes some proclamations about his authority and where his authority comes from. So Jesus makes this statement that he is the light of the world. And then there's this back and forth that takes place between him and the Jewish leaders. And they're like, wait a minute, like, what are you talking about? You're, you're talking about yourself. That can't be true. Like, somebody else has to say it as well. And there's this back and forth dialogue that happens. And like, I like to trick, like to, to think that they're trying to to get back at him for what just happened with the adulterous woman, where they tried to bring her to Jesus. And he was like, well, where's the witnesses, right? Like, you're using this standard to come to me, but you don't have the witnesses to actually bring this accusation against the woman. And so they're thinking they're really tricky here. They're like, well, wait a minute, Jesus. You're talking about yourself. Where are your witnesses to say that you are the light of the world? And so they have this back and forth dialogue. And and Jesus says some things like, well, I testify about myself. So there's one, but also the father testifies about me as well. And so he's claiming two two sources of of proclamation there. But then also, like, if you look back in the book of John that we've seen so far, there's been lots of things that have testified about who Jesus is, right? John the Baptist testified about who Jesus was, that he was coming and to provide light to the world in the midst of darkness. Jesus did some amazing things. He turned water into wine. He brought bread out of a few loaves and fed thousands of people. These miraculous occurrences testified to who Jesus was. And so he's like, he's squashing that, right? But he goes on and he talks about who he is and his authority and where his authority comes from. The authority that Jesus stands upon is not his own. That's what makes him different than these other Jewish leaders at the time, they would stand upon their own like prominence, their own status. They had risen through the ranks of these, this this discipleship method of this uh, process of becoming powerful. But Jesus says, no, I didn't come on my own authority, but I came from the Father. And I speak the words of the Father. The words that I speak are not my own. They are of the Father. As it says in verse 28 of chapter 8, they're having this back and forth dialogue and, and Jesus is saying some things about like, well, we're, I'm going to be going somewhere and you can't follow. And so they have this, this weird thought of like, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to kill, kill himself? Is he going to commit suicide so that then we can't follow him? Because 
he's right here. What, what's going on? And he, he makes this claim that they are, they are in sin and that their sins are keeping them from following him, that he is coming to bring light and that his authority is not his own. He has much to say. He has much to judge, but he comes because of who the Father is. So he says in verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus came down because he was sent by the Father. Jesus came down in the authority of the one who sent him. And as he came down and he was dwelling in the midst of these people, he wasn't trying to push his own agenda, right? Jesus wasn't trying to make much of himself. Jesus wasn't trying to get a whole lot of followers on his side so that he could feel really good about himself, which is what the Jewish leaders tended to do, right? I think that we kind of do that sometimes as well. Of like, all right, if I can get some people on my side or if I can like get this big following on Instagram or if I can get all these friends and like little connections through LinkedIn or Facebook or, or whatever way, then like, then I'll feel, I'll feel pretty good about myself, right? People will know who I am and I'll have, I'll have influence and I'll have praise and like they will, they'll know me. But in that instance, we're trying to like conjure up the, the words ourselves right? We're trying to put out our own image or our own perspective out there so that people would think we're cool and follow us. But Jesus didn't come down so that people would think he was cool, right? Jesus came down to proclaim the words of the Father. And what he's saying here is that he's making some, some pretty powerful statement here, and it could be easy to miss, where he says to them, when, I, you, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. Then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. See, Jesus came with an intentional purpose. He came to point people to the Father, right? He didn't come to point people to Himself. And as He came, He knew that the people were going to reject Him. These leaders were so holding on to their own authority, right? They were grasping at power that they were willing to do anything to hold on to it. Anything to hold on to that power. Even kill. Even take somebody's life. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, my authority is from above. You are so power hungry for authority that you are willing to even kill the one who is sent of God the Son of Man, Jesus. You will hang him on a cross. You will kill him. And in the midst of that, you will think that you have won. You will think that you have gained the power, that you have gotten the upper hand, and that you are in control. But what's really going to happen is that you will see Jesus is God. Jesus is the one with the power. You will see him in glory in the midst of that. You will see where the authority comes from. So Jesus isn't standing on his own authority. He's standing on the authority of the one who sent him. It's kind of like an ambassador, right? 
Like we have ambassadors in this country and ambassadors from other countries. When, when our president or our leader or our authority figure is unable to, to go and barter the deal themselves, they send another in their stead, right? So like when we have an ambassador and we send an ambassador to, to China or, or Mexico or Uruguay or wherever we are sending them, that ambassador as they go is representing somebody, right? They're representing somebody in some place. They're not going on their own agenda, at least they shouldn't be, right? They should be going with the agenda of the one who sent them. They should be going, standing on the authority of the one who sent them. They should be going in representation of the nation and kingdom that sent them. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's going, standing on the authority of the Father who sent him in representation of the kingdom of God that was come to be proclaimed. Jesus is standing on some pretty powerful authority. But not only does he proclaim that his authority is from the Father, he proclaims that he has authority over life and death, over freedom and slavery. As it says in verses 31 through 38, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, uh, that's a reference to the end of that, that section previously for, before it got, Jesus said all these things and, and some of the guys, they, they liked it. They heard and they're like, whoa, this is, this is pretty good stuff, Jesus. Like, I, I believe that you are who you say you are. And so he follows that up. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, he's saying, Listen up, what I have to say is true. It's authoritative. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is making a pretty authoritative and powerful claim here. He is saying that there is is freedom to be had in life. There is life to be lived abundantly. But you who say that you have it are actually dying. You are actually enslaved. You do not have this freedom which you proclaim. The only way that you can have this freedom is by abiding in the Son, is by seeking after the one who was sent as a representative of the Father. He's telling them that that you have been grabbing onto this thing, the law, the works of the, the Old Testament, in hope that you would find life there. But reality, you're, you're missing what that is pointing to. That's pointing to a fuller life, a life abundant in the one who is fulfilling those laws. Jesus. They're missing it. And because they are missing it, they are being bound to death. They are being bound to these rules. They are being bound to these other authority structures that have no power to liberate them from free to, and give them freedom. 
<clears throat> and with boldness, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Right? You will be free indeed. The Jews had become slaves. Not only politically, over the history of, of Israel and the Jewish people, they, they had been enslaved to a number of different political authorities. Egypt, Syria, Assyria, all these different people groups had come over and had dominated the people of God. And here, even now, they are under the political authority of Rome, not of their own accord. But in the midst of that, they're like stubbornly holding on to this ideal of like, we might be under this political authority, but like, we are free inside. Like, you can't, like the angry teenager, you know? Like, well, you can try to tell me what to do, but like, you can't make me do it on the inside, right? Like, like you stand there as a parent and you're trying to make your child do something. You're the authority structure, but like inside, they are just like, I'm still jumping on the bed, right? I'm still doing this thing that I want to do. You can't make me do it on the inside. And that's what, that's what the Jews had, had kind of come to. They were, they were in bondage, They were not free in their own political sense, but they were trying to hold on to this internal ideal of of freedom by holding on to these laws, by holding on to these like structures of behavior and living and and way of doing things that, that God had given them that were good when they had come out of Egypt. But in reality, we're supposed to point to something more, to point to something greater, But instead of looking to the thing that it it pointed to, they they held on to the law. And Jesus, as he comes, he is the one who has fulfilled it. He has encompassed it fully, and he is the perfect son of man. And he says, the only way that you can be free, the only way that you can have life is through the son. When the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not through some adherence of law, not through some sacrificial system, not through a priest that can can listen to your aching heart and then speak some good advice. Only through the Son will you be free. That is the trueness of freedom, is through the Son of God. So Jesus has proclaimed his identity as the light of the world. He has proclaimed his authority that comes from the Father and that is over sin and death and brings life. And then Jesus says some some pretty harsh things to the Jewish people as he proclaims family lines. See, he goes on here and and he talks about, as it mentioned here at the end, he says, I know you are offspring of Abraham. These people are, are claiming lineage. They are claiming a lineage and a family line that, that in the Old Testament was, was like cream of the crop, right? Like if you were of the family of Abraham, you were guaranteed these amazing things. And so the Jews say, well, wait, wait a minute. We, we're descendants of Abraham. Like how can you be saying that we need the son to be free? We, we have never been in bondage. We are, we are free. We are not under any oppression. We are 
of the perfect line of Abraham. But Jesus, Jesus kind of flips that on them. As he says that there are, there are two family lines that Jesus is going to talk about. A family line that is from the father Abraham and a family line that is of the father of lies. The family line that is of the father of Abraham, he talks about here in verses 39 through 43. The Jews, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your, of your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. <clears throat> Israel and the Jews are claiming to be of this family line of Abraham. They are claiming to be of that lineage. And they may very well might be. They may very well be genetic descendants of Abraham. But the way that they have been living and operating their lives is not a reflection of who Abraham was and what Abraham stood for, and what Abraham was sent to do. See, in this picture, the Jews are, are clamoring for authority. They're, they're wanting to stake their claim. They're wanting to create this power structure of reliance upon other things. But what did Abraham do? Abraham stood upon faith, right? Abraham did not stand upon works. Abraham did not try to justify himself and make himself better. Abraham did not try and accomplish all of these things in order to get right with God. Abraham was declared to be a man of faith, a man of trust in God, a man who was given a promise because of his hope and firm trust and faith in God. He was given a promise of grace. He was given a promise of provision he was given a promise of blessing to the nations and to the world through his family line. Now, Israel is trying to say that they are that family line that's supposed to bless the nations. But, but how? How? Have they been blessing the nations? It seems to me the structure that they have created here is more about keeping the nations away, right? It's about creating their own little fun, happy bubble of the elite of the elites that can have the, the nations around them to make them feel good, but not to give them life. That's not who Abraham was. Abraham was a, a gracious person. Abraham was a repentant person. Abraham was a reliant person through faith who's clung to God for provision, not to these other things. And so Jesus tells them, as it goes on in verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He's saying, you say that Abraham is your father. Abraham looked forward to the day when I would come and be here. And he rejoiced abundantly in that. Yet I'm here. I'm in the midst of you who say you are of this man. And you reject me. 
You push me away. You want to kill him. You see, if Abraham were your father, if God were your father, you would love the son. You would seek after the son. So if they're not of the line of Abraham, if they're not of this line of grace, if they are not of faith that is seeking after the things of God, then, then they must be something else. And so he makes this declaration that they, their father truly is a father of lies. As he says in verse 44 through 47, you are not a children of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. And you Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That's some pretty harsh stuff to be saying right here, right? Like Jesus is coming down to these people and he is coming to bring life and to bring salvation and to bring abundance of joy and newness in him. And he's saying, you're not a part of that. Who you truly are a part of is the one who has been killing from the beginning the one who has been constantly clamoring for authority, even though he has no true authority. The father of lies, the devil. The father of lies. Satan entered in first in the Garden of Eden as he spoke lies to Adam and Eve, saying, well, God's not really good, is he? God's, God's putting you in this box, guys. Like, live your best life now. Eat from that tree. Go and get it. But what happened? What happened when they listened to that serpent? They died, right? They were exiled from this immaculately beautiful place in the presence of God eternally. And they had to leave. They had to go out. And the result of that was death. And it is is in all of us, even to this day, right? Every one of us dies. Every one of us experiences the brokenness of life. Every one of us experiences the decay of a broken body. Some of us to varying degrees and more so than others. But there's brokenness that entered in because the father of lies brought deceit and murder and death. And Jesus is is saying that those that are not seeking after God in faith through grace and through mercy and receiving that, but are setting up these authority structures that you have to jump through this hoop and you have to do it exactly this way and you have to sacrifice on this day and you have to hold these, these ceremonial laws and, 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 well, wait a minute, those ceremonial laws aren't good enough, so we're going to add some more just in case. Like, you're creating a yoke of oppression upon these people when God came to bring life and bring it abundantly. Jesus proclaims some family lines. A family line of faith that is the result of grace and a family line that is of lies, that is the work of the enemy. 
And to go even further, if this was not clear enough for the people, Jesus makes one more identity statement about who he is. After making all this conversation about who his authority comes from, about this different lineage of, of, of family lines and Abraham and, and lies and Satan, Jesus goes on to say, I am. In verse 58, they're having this back and forth about, furthermore, about Abraham. And, and Jesus says, well, I've seen, if, if Abraham was alive, he would rejoice because he was looking forward to my coming, to my being here. And he says in 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they reached down to pick up stones to kill him. Because this was a clear statement on who Jesus was and what he was claiming to be. Jesus was claiming to be I am Yahweh, the eternal God who has been and always will be, is who Jesus is claiming to be. That he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That he is the God who is all self-sufficient, who is all-knowing, who is all-gracious, who is all-compassionate, and who is all-loving, but who is also all-righteous and held accountable to his standard. This is who Jesus proclaims to be. Jesus proclaims deity. Jesus proclaims to be God. And they are angry about it. They don't want to accept it. So so what's the point, right? Like why, why go through all of this? I believe it is because as Jesus is making these statements, as he is revealing who he is, he is calling people to something. He is calling people to himself. He is calling people to abide in him that they may have life and have life abundantly. He is calling people to faith in God, in the person of Jesus, that they may have life and have life abundantly. Verses 31 through 32, we can revisit that to kind of drive this home. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a very, like, catchy phrase to say. It's even in movies or or all sorts of things, you know. The truth shall set you free. Just hold on to the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, what Jesus is saying here is that if you abide in me, if you are grounded in me, if you are rooted in me, if you are obedient to me, if you are fruitful in living and following after me and my word, then you are truly my disciples. And then you will have the truth in you. You will know the truth. And the truth is Jesus. The truth that you will know through abiding in his word is Jesus. Right? How else are you to know this person that 
lived thousands of years ago? How else are you to understand who this person is that lived thousands of years ago? You have never personally met Jesus. You have not had him walk up to you in physical form and shake his hand and walk down the street and get to know him. None of us has. But God has given us an amazing way to know him through the word, through the scriptures, through the text that was revealed by God himself. Now, that does not mean that we worship the words written on these pages themselves, right? The words written on these pages were pointing to something. They were pointing to someone. They were pointing to Jesus. They were pointing to the truth. And the only way that we can understand who Jesus is, the only way that we can recognize the voice of God is by recognizing the words of God, right? I, I, I like to say that how do you know whose voice you are hearing when you say that God is speaking to you? How do you know, right? My answer is if it lines up with the word, right? If you do not know what the voice of God sounds like, which has been revealed the clearest to us through the scripture, then who are you listening to, right? The father of lies is constantly trying to deceive us. The father of lies is constantly trying to draw us away to these other things and to these other methods of fulfillment, these other methods of salvation, these other methods of fullness. But God is saying fullness of life comes through faith and a relationship with Jesus. And you can know who this person is because he has been revealed to you through the words of Scripture. So I ask, what does it look like in your life to abide in the Word? What does it look like in your life to know the truth that is Jesus? Is it rest found being rooted and grounded and obedient and fruitful? Is it entitlement because you have an overemphasis on grace that leads you to enablement, to just feeling like you can do whatever, whenever, however, because this loving God is just going to wipe it all away and forgive you? Or is the feeling of unworthiness because of a reliance on works that lead to bondage, a reliance on your own self-will, thinking that you can muster it up and get it done? that you can save yourself by doing X, Y, and Z just the right way so that then God would be proud of you? What does it look like for you to abide in this word? What does it look like for you to abide in Jesus? We abide in Jesus through following after him. That starts with repentance. That starts with turning from our own way and turning to him. And a way that we get to do that every week, a way that we get to practice that, a way that we get to remember that is by coming to these tables in communion. We come to these tables in reverence of God. 
We come to these tables proclaiming that we are not enough. That the only one who was enough was Jesus, who came down and lived, who was sent of the Father in full authority, who was hung on a cross to die by those he came to save, by those he came to bring life to, by those he came to bring salvation to, but that it did not end there. Jesus rose again to life. He rose again to life so that we could be risen up from death to life with him as we seek after him and as we dwell in him, as we abide in him. So we invite you to these tables. We invite you to these tables to take the bread as a symbol of the body that was nailed to the cross. Dip it in the wine or the juice as a symbol of the blood that flowed out over all of us. That we may be washed clean. That we may be made free and have life in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it was out of your grace and out of your love and out of your compassion that you sent him in your authority to come down and proclaim who he is, to proclaim life to the full, to proclaim newness in you. God, help us to consider our lives. Help us to consider what we are seeking after and that we may seek after you, that we would abide in you and that that would give us life abundantly. Praise things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.